0: Hey, everyone. You're listening to Superwoman. It's Rebecca. I rarely do part twos, but when I love someone a lot and they give good interview, I got to take them for round two. So that is this interview with Arianne Simone, the co-founder of The Fearless Sun, acclaimed author, philanthropist. You have listened to part one of our interview. But I wanted to go deeper into Ariane's early life and how she got the cojones to be the fearless leader that she is. Take a listen. Um, all right, so we're back for round two because I can't get enough of the incredible Ariane in the- Samoa. Um, and if you listen to the first one, which I suggest all of you go do, uh, that was really about her history, how she started the fearless fund and her, her story. But this one, I really want to get her, her take and hot tips. So let's begin. When you launched the fearless fund, was it your own money? Did you go to people for money? How did you convince people and say, you're going to give me money or not? And How did you
1: launch it? Of course. Well, first and foremost, Rebecca, thank you for having me again. I know you do not do this often, so I take this as an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to your audience two times in a row. So this is wonderful, um, and I'm very grateful. Yeah, raising capital at first at the Fearless Fund was very, very difficult. A lot of prayers and tears, et cetera, trying to figure out how to get it done. Yes, you do have to have skin in the game. So I had to put in 50 grand of my money and, oh gosh, where do I start with this? So I thought that's how we were going to start. We were getting like $50,000 checks, $100,000 checks. Um, Our smallest unit was 50. So that's why it was 50 at that time. The requirement, of course, is higher now, but that's what it was then. The very first investor um, of individuals actually was a... I think she may have been 14 at the time. Oh, my God. It was um, Her name is Marseille Martin. She is an actress and a producer. She is the youngest person in Hollywood to have a production deal at Universal and the youngest producer ever in history. She, her family actually reached out and they said to me, what are you hearing up for? And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, we see a lot of the quotes you have on social media. And I met her family from the movie Little which my PR marketing agency was on at the time. And she said, or her mom and dad said, we have a feeling you're getting ready to do a fund. And I said, I am. I said, it's for women of color, built by women of color, investing women of color. And they said, great, we just called to be the first investor. So, yes, luckily at that time I was already SEC regulated. So if you want to start a fund, you have to go get SEC regulated. We are, uh, you know, regulated by the government entity, Securities and Exchange Commission. I had the paperwork in order. I had all the attorneys, had all the paperwork drafted. So I sent it over and they sent the money right then. (laughs) So then I was like, Rebecca, oh, I'm off to the races. So I'm like all excited, like, yes, we're doing this. And then I realized you start pitching to people who may say no. You're pitching to people who just don't get it. And then I'm like, okay, this is gonna take a minute. So we probably got to like maybe 500,000 or a million that way. And I said, no, this is taking too much energy. We'd have to go through too much to educate and then to get the check. So it was like the education portion, the persuasion portion. And I said, "Mm -mm, scratch all of this. I only wanna speak to people. Who are buying what I'm selling. <laughs> I was like, because I can't keep going through this. Mm-hmm. And it probably took us 300 meetings to get to the 25.8 million that closed for fund one. But it became easier towards the latter part of the journey because, like I said, I stopped doing that. I said, we need to come up with a target list of investors of people who already invest in diverse fund managers, who already invest in emerging fund managers, and who are looking to get capital out to people of color businesses or women of color. I said, that's our person. (laughs) I said, anything else we don't have time to talk to because then you have the education portion and the persuasion portion. I said, no, I don't have time to educate or persuade. I want to sell to people who are already buying. And that's when things started to click for us. We went after institutional money. The city of Atlanta invested, Lisp, the nation's largest nonprofit lending institution, invested, PayPal invested, Fifth Third Bank invested, Costco invested, and then we were like off to the races. Then there was Bank of America, JP Morgan Chase, MasterCard, Ally Bank. So, like I said, then we were off to the races. But yes, that's how things start. And honestly, you need startup. How should I put it? I guess you need almost like startup capital to start a fund type thing. Yeah, it's just fund formation alone it can cost six figures easily. Easily, it's just say fund formation. What is that? F U N D. Yep, fund formation. Just to get it, mm. just to get it yeah. um, formed, like right. regulated. Your PPM docs, your subscription agreement, your limited partner investor docs. Just to get all the documentation. Yep. And everything going, yeah, you may spend a pretty penny.
0: Wow. So you start this fund and now you have huge corporations and individuals behind you. What did you do to mitigate if you felt under pressure, like, I got to invest in things that are going to win? And, and I think like, you know, you, ne- you never know, right? Mm-hmm. With who you're investing in. So what was your lens through
1: which you were going to give women money? Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> this is this is a, a long answer too. I can tell you where we're at now and then I'm going to rewind. Where we're at now, there's four indicators that we look at on our investment team. Brand story needs to be strong. The team to execute on this company needs to be strong. The product, of course, needs to be solving an amazing problem, needs to be strong, and traction in the marketplace needs to be strong. And for everybody out there that's listening, that's considering raising capital for their business, just know that a great brand story and traction in the marketplace will get an investor's attention. You will need more, of course, to keep their attentions, but just trust me, the great brand story and the traction in the marketplace, you have people at ears, they're listening. So those are the indicators, the four indicators that we look for. They have to pass that smell test before it even lands on my desk. Now, I would say um, prior to this, yes, did we feel the pressure? You're saying that? Yeah, we feel it all the time. But I won't say pressure. We're, We're well aware that we are like the Jackie Robinson test case. We're the first venture capital fund that's built by women of color for women of color. And we know that it has to work. So do we feel that? But oh my gosh, this has to work. Yes. We are more than aware that it has to work. Luckily, well this is like fortunate but unfortunate. It's unfortunate that women of color are the most founded entrepreneur demographic and the least funded, but the fortunate part about that is there's plenty of talent. You know, there's plenty of talent. It's the largest pool of untapped talent in the entrepreneur space that you'll ever see. We talk to women all the time that have, you know, done millions in revenue and nobody in their cap table but themselves. So on that end, um, finding great companies is not too difficult. Contrary to what everybody probably thought, that probably thought we were building something crazy, it's not difficult at all. And we have a pretty strong built-in community. We can get thousands of applications in a week. So from there, finding those companies is not hard. What I would like to add about the process is at first we were probably more opportunistic because, you know, we see so many great deals. And then we had to become towards the end of like deploying a lot of the first checks for fund one saying, Hey, we're going to be more strategic in how we're approaching this. We knew like what our overall equity percentage needed to be for our full portfolio. And we still fell there when we were opportunistic or strategic. So it all still worked out in our favor. I will say that there's a level of intuition that goes into this, especially since we're talking about being super women. <laughs> <laughs> there is a level of intuition, just like I met you, and I know they listen, like, oh my gosh, is this, I don't mean this from an arrogant standpoint, but you're like, okay, she has it. You're like, I'm converted. <laughs> <laughs> there are people, when we meet them, it's the same feeling too, mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, they have it. And I can even give an example. Of somebody who had it, but it wasn't on paper yet. And that was Tracy Pickett with Hairbrella. And I met her June of 2019. And she's showing like all the it factors. And then she tells me she's only had like 1,500 that month in sales. And I was like, something's wrong here. She's an attorney, an inventor. Her product is patented. But her energy was giving, I have it. So I was like, something's weird. (laughs) Yeah. So I just sat back and I watched and by September, she started having like these big six-figure months, October, six-figure months, November, December. I said, like, OK, she's about a million in. Let me call. <laughs> so I called her January and I said, hey, this is 2020. I said, are you still interested in the Fearless Fund? She said, I am. And I've had all these great six-figure months. I'm over a million in sales. And I'm about to go on Good Morning America. And they said, you've had six-figure months. You need to be ready for six-figure days by the time we get done. And she was like, oh, yeah, I need capital. So we had a very good talk. She goes on to GMA, actually, March of 2020. And we know what that was. Oh, Lord. Yes. But it was a blessing because she got that national attention and she took that visor on her product and she added a face shield. And now the health industry and the restaurant industry started buying it in storms. So wow, yeah. So I was like, I'm so glad we bet on her. I knew she had it. So that's where I was at. So there is a level of even all the things being on paper, there's still that intuitiveness where you're like, yeah, I want to bet on you. There's there's still that too.
0: Right. It's a bit of magic and a bit of, you need to have the brand, you need to have the proof of concept, but then there needs to be that that little magic that's very hard to
1: quantify. Yes. And because it's hard to quantify and it's because it's even hard to replicate. I, I can bet on the it and we support you with other things because I know I can't go recreate the it factor. No,
0: oh, someone either has it or they don't.
1: Yes. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it?
0: so when you're sitting there looking at it you know you go through obviously a vetting process what has been if you you know if you take all the women that you've invested in that have hit it big or had success or not you know not gone the wrong way cuz i was in a fund uh, a private equity fund and they were they lost so many brands but then they covered it up because they had one pop right Mm -hmm. Um, so when you've seen these women make it, what is, is there a common theme or thread throughout them of, okay, if I just focus, you know, for those listening on becoming the best at blah, like if you had to say, you know, what is that, that, that makes a difference?
1: Oh my gosh. And maybe, Um, maybe
0: each one is different.
1: I do think that, I think that may be a little more, um, custom versus general. So I'm just trying to think of. One thing I can, I can definitely say about all the winners, they're not caught up in what's going on in, they know their competitive landscape, but they're not caught up. They're not discouraged. They're not like freaking out or anything of that nature. So the commonality I would say is more so a personality trait of they're able to be calm in the storm. Yep. That's one thing that I can say that I just see across the board. They're able to be calm in the storm. And by maintaining that level of energy and stillness, they're able to gain clarity and vision and to be able to navigate. Um, people who just fall apart, it then becomes like a domino cycle because then they're like, oh, this is it is and this is it. it. It just it turns into something else. But if you can remain calm in the storm, then you can always see your way out.
0: I couldn't agree with you more on that. I feel like when, I, when we were going through our acquisition, I achieved a level of calm where I should have been shitting in my pants. <laughs> 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 oh, And it was just crazy. And becoming calm and having the team see, you know, we were calm uh, made all the difference versus me having a panic attack and crawling and, you know, going into a fetal position and not coming out of it.
1: Yeah. It, it takes some people out. Yeah. One position I'm looking forward to hiring even at the firm later is... Do you watch Billions?
0: No, but everyone talks about it and I feel like I need to start watching it.
1: Um, It's Wendy Rhodes. She's a therapist and she serves as a performance coach and over HR at the hedge fund. But her job is basically just to make sure everybody's mental temperament is in a place of success and winning. And I said, this is so dope because I understand the type of pressures that are at that level and what it's like to play at that stake. And I said, I know that that position now is so instrumental in people's firms. We see people adopting that position now, too, a lot at different companies and especially it's become very popular in corporate America now. But making sure, like I said, that calm in the storm exists. Um, So she's there basically to give people that assistance to maintain that calm in the storm. You
0: know, one of my, my friend, the founder of Birchbox, her favorite person in the world is her business coach. Cause I think he gets her into a mindset where she can reinforce being calm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so
0: yeah, I, I love that. That's your next hire. What are some of the mistakes? I feel like every woman I talk to is, well, I need to raise money. Well, I have to raise money. And I, I always go, why, why do you have to raise money? Well, growth is going to be too slow. I'm like, why is slower growth bad if you're profitable and You know, I don't know that I feel like so many women think that the only way to grow or the only way to be in business is to raise money. So what would you say to women? Like, this is why your business should raise or when. And
1: some businesses should never raise money. That is true. (laughs) Um, Like I said, that is true, too. To me... The businesses, okay, I'll speak. I invest in CPG and I invest in tech. So the advice on both sectors is a little different for me. So if you're in a product space, which is CPG, consumer packaged goods, if you're in a product space, your business should be healthy before raising. And what I mean by that is it's profitable. um, You have organic reach before you even had paid reach. Like You want to make sure your business is healthy as possible. So in that space, you want you want to be, you know, in in decent seven figures to me, or you can even be. I would even say it at five hundred thousand. I'll, I'll even go there, having a very healthy, profitable company. That's what I would say from the CPG side. And you want to make sure your direct to consumer base is strong um, before you get into retail distribution, because retail is very expensive, and you need the cash flow management to go well like you want to have enough cash on your own before you get into meeting the demands of po's and looking like oh god i got this great order of 3.8 million but how do i have the money to supply this so that's my advice on more so on the cpg side tech side looks different tech can be very capital intensive so it's not like i can say oh your benchmark is that it's this healthy profitable company because instagram wasn't healthy and profitable Slack wasn't like, it's just, it is what it is in the tech space. It's all about the traction and you want to make sure enough traction is there. And that should, I should say that Instagram wasn't healthy and profitable. It was healthy, but it's not like they had to make a dime before they sold for, I think, a billion or so, you know, so tech looks very different than the consumer side. Um, So the traction, of course, is going to be the biggest driving force of where you're at. So Rebecca, you guys asking the question because in venture, we move aggressively, but you don't have to move aggressively, like she's saying, to have a successful company. You don't at all. The venture model is definitely set up for the companies that want to go on that unicorn trajectory. If not, you can literally borrow money from friends and family. You can go to the bank, get a loan. It doesn't have to look like that. So just be well aware of what route you're going and knowing what's required of you on that route.
0: I'm really glad you said that because like I just interviewed a woman who has a 100 million dollar cookie company never took funding and and so it's like then you see people that are doing a million dollars that are like I got to raise money, I got to raise a couple million and I'm just like grow slow. You know? You you can it is a it is a possibility, I guess, and I just wish you know, more women knew that that was possible. And then knowing when to go to companies like you so they don't feel rejection for the wrong reasons.
1: Oh, that is so good. That is so true. Cause you're like, you don't even wanna put yourself through the emotional turmoil if it's just not a fit necessarily. And one thing I can say at our fund, we are, I don't wanna say that we're gentle in our nose. I will say that we're resourceful. So we let them know where they're at on this path and we will definitely provide resources if it's a no, on what would be helpful for their business and where they are at.
0: I think that's much nicer of an experience than thank you. Let me ask my wife about this product and I'll get back to you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We know those stories.
0: Oh, we do. So let me ask you this. You have a very non-conservative approach to how you talk about money, how you embrace your own personal wealth. Where did that confidence come from and what advice would you give to women who are just trying to get even remotely comfortable with a 10th of what you put out?
1: I got it. I guess you would say it would more so even be advice to people who are raising children so that I'm going to tell you guys what my mother did with me because I got it from my youth. I've never been scared to ask or discuss money because of my mother. Well, You know how when you have your child and they're doing the Girl Scout cookies, usually the mother is the one selling the Girl Scout cookies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My mother was just like, this is your project. I will equip you with my Rolodex and my address book, but this is your project. And I had to be the one to ask and to sell. And in every charity event, which I felt like even in my youth, it had to have been a few at minimum per year, I probably say knowing my mother five to seven, because <laughs> she's very much civic oriented in that way. But I had to go do it. I remember raising money for the United Negro College Fund and the NAACP, and I would be like the number one salesperson or fundraiser in in the city as a as a kid. <laughs> and I, they would give me awards and I would be at these big galas with like 10,000 people. Like and our number one fundraiser is Arian Reed. <laughs> you guys, so just so you know, my last name is Reed, Arian Simone Reed. But I was just like, oh my gosh, when I look back on that, it's because my mother made me make the ask. So I don't have problems raising capital now as a venture capitalist and making the ask because my mother has had me making an ask since I was a kid. So I would definitely say that confidence comes really from repetition. So my advice would be like to try it out and just get more comfortable with trying it out and more comfortable with discussing it. And then over time your confidence will you you'll start just having informed confidence. You're going to be like, "Oh yeah, I got this. I asked this last time." <laughs> so it's really been just the repetition. You have to just make sure you're not scared to do it the first time cuz once you put your foot in, you can take another step. And then put your foot in again, and you can take another step. But for me, it definitely started at my youth. I remember um, going to the credit union at our church as as young as two, three, and four, and having to write in the ledger what I was putting in there. Now, I probably wasn't putting in more than a few dollars, (laughs) but I remember having those practices. But the confidence part, you just have to do it one time. And they say, oh, okay, well, let me try this again. Okay, well, let me try this again. And then you you start to build up that muscle. So you and I both
0: had strong moms that encouraged us. Have you seen or met any women who maybe didn't have that figure or that example or that push that you've seen change through, like you said, that one step or you know making their wins more firm that then you can see them start to throw their shoulders back put their red
1: lipstick on and and go yeah i i can definitely say like i said that's just where it came from for me Yeah, but i can definitely say that i have seen people do that all the time all the time so for everybody listening knowing if that wasn't of course your case in your youth don't don't worry about that you can definitely still start today cuz people do do that all the time
0: so when you look at opportunities for women um, you know people are are you know curious do they invest in Bitcoin do they invest in crypto real estate you know the stock market I'd love for you to touch on uh, the power of investing in other women in your case you know minorities women of color um, how can people get involved in this and what are some of the benefits you've seen from Focusing on certain key areas.
1: Yes, a few things, (laughs) because all of those I've done. So I'll say, one, I'm not a financial advisor. I have to state that just for the record. But what has been helpful for me in my journey is just the diversification. Did I invest in crypto? Yeah, I started probably around 2017 getting in it. And did, has it yielded great results for me? Yes. But it's the diversification. So I have a stock portfolio, probably 100 positions. Um, are you crying right now like I am? Oh, <laughs> you're talking about with the market? I'll tell you yes. the save me. No, I'm not. I'm going okay. to tell you. My, my, everything for me is up. Wow. What all is up is because prior to the war, I was heavy in oil. The oil wow. has taken my portfolio Like if everything else was healthy, it would be really through the moon. But my portfolio right now is up due to that. Wow. Um, So I made some choices prior to then that definitely paid off where I made some investments in some um, estates. I made some investments in some land that had oil rights and mineral rights um, that pay out monthly dividends. So I made some wise decisions before this time hit. And because I, I at first I was scared to go look, honestly, Rebecca, I was at the way the market was going. I was like, Arian, don't bother. Then when I opened up my accounts, I said, whoa, what happened? And I said it was the oil. So I called my sister because we both um, mimic our portfolios. We have a lot of the same investments. And she said this. She said, I would have put my whole life savings in this oil. <laughs> Had I known, it would have done us like this. And I was like, yeah, this was awesome. So it's more so the diversification that I encourage people, even if it's from a standpoint of venture, you know, you want the diversification because you just don't know what will happen at any given time. Something may work, something may not, but you want to know that something's working for you. So on the venture side, I don't just invest at the fund. I am an angel investor outside of the fund. So for everybody listening, our fearless fund where I serve CEO and co-founder, we invest in women of color co-founded businesses. So they have to have a woman of color on the co-founding team. Some have other founders that are not women of color, but that's our thesis and our premise of what the fund invests in. Me as an individual, as long as it's not competitive or like within the realms of the thesis, I have, you know, my freedom to angel invest. So I have made angel investments in companies that don't match that thesis as well too. So, but for me, like I said, it's really diversification. If you want to get into this space, talk to other angel investors, talk to people. And if there's angel networks out there that you can just look up even online, so you want to just look at the different angel networks, what meetings or conferences or information that they may have, so you can kind of like get yourself used to what that looks like. And I know that um, that can be for accredited investors and on on up i guess from a financial standpoint if you do not have the salary of an accredited investor i would say start with your friends and family like you could strike up a promissory note with somebody like hey you're in business i want to do five thousand dollars and can you pay me back you know six thousand at the end of the year and they may say well sure i'll take it yes let's go so i was angel investing way before i knew what angel investing was because I knew from entrepreneurship being in it so young that I just wanted to help my friends. So I'd say, oh, well, here's five thousand. Can you give me this back? Or here's ten thousand or hey, here's a thousand, you know, and I got my footing in that way. So if you're looking to get into the space, but not from a traditional space, hey, you can always try out friends and family and see what works. But it's truly the diversification. Um, I believe in investing in real estate. I'm an investor in a tiny home development in the Atlanta, Georgia area called Techie Homes. I, um, of course, I'm in venture. Of course, I'm in stocks. I'm in crypto. I haven't heavily gone into Web3, though. I haven't. My sister you know, was like, we got to buy land in the metaverse and everything. And I, I just haven't heavily got into it. Have you?
0: I have not. I was, you know, we were debating as a brand do we buy some land in Sandbox, but I just haven't wrapped my wits around, you know. So I'm still I'm still a bit uncertain about that.
1: Mhm. Yeah, I I'm I need to read up more. I need to read up more cuz I want to feel comfortable. Now, I wouldn't say that I know everything about crypto by any means, but I felt comfortable in the people that I was surrounded by that knew what they were doing, and I made some strong, good bets. Now, in this one, if if I if I find the right community to where I'm like, okay, I can do what they did, then I'm pretty sure I'd feel probably a little bit more at ease. But not, I, I've just I've just yet to get to it.
0: I feel you. It's still too new. It's still a little, uh, is this going to burst for me? So I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting to see if we need digital land. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, thank you for round two. I love talking to you. You are always so inspiring and so helpful because I think you break it down in such a way that anyone listening really can understand, which I think is, is a barrier to so many women getting started. So I can't thank you enough for what you do.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And hopefully I can see you soon. Yes. I'd love to see you soon. I just wanted to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I also want to ask you to rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I know it's a pain in the butt, but it actually helps with search and algorithms. So if you love this podcast, it is an easy way to get it more visible and out there. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Rebecca Minkoff at Superwomen and be sure to check out my book, Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage and Success. Thank you again and you will hear from me next week.